Start off in the book of Luke, chapter 14. I don't have a handout tonight. I apologize for that, but uh, we have Luke, chapter 14. We're going to start there. I'm going to read another verse in Hebrews, chapter 10, and then we're going to land in Matthew, chapter 21. So uh, you could start off, though, in Luke, chapter 14, and I'm, I just... As I was preparing for this service tonight, I was kept wanting to go one direction, and the Lord kept leading me back to what I was going to speak on Sunday, what I had intended on speaking uh, speaking on on Sunday. And so I said, "Yes, Lord, if you keep leading me back there, then uh, then that's where we will go." And so uh, we're going to uh, talk about the house and the vineyard tonight. The house. In the vineyard. Let's start off here in Luke chapter 14. Hold on just a moment. Let me get there. Luke chapter 14, verse number 23. We see Jesus speaking here, and the Lord he said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. That my house may be filled. What a challenging verse for us. A a, uh, verse that we all ought to take to heart. This is in the middle of a parable that Jesus is telling here. But it's uh, the point that he's getting across is is that uh, we as the servants would go out and compel them to come into the house that the house may be full. Let's uh, let's flip over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25. Another familiar passage I think for us here today. Hebrews 10 verse 24 and 25. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. I think that's a good thing that we ought to do. That when we are together, that we would provoke one another. Now, not in a negative way, but provoke one another unto love and to good works. That's that's what happens when the church gets together. That's what takes place when we gather together is, is we are to provoke one another to love and to good works. Continues on, it says, not forsaking The assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. These two passages here that we see, and we're going to land on on one more passage in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 31. We see here a parable of Jesus. It's labeled as the parable of the two sons. And this is not the prodigal son, but rather two other sons that Jesus is telling this story about. And he says, what think ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and he said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and he said, I will not. 
But afterward, he repented and he went. And then he came to the second and he said, likewise. And he answered and he said, I go, sir. But he went not. Now, whether of them twain did the will of his father. And they say unto him, the first Jesus saith unto them, verily, I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. So we have this parable, these two sons, and I'll just summarize it once more. This, what Jesus is saying here to these, uh, this crowd of Pharisees and, uh, those that he's addressing here. And he has these, this father, which has two sons and imagine this father that, uh, he has a vineyard and he asks, comes to his first son and, and he, and he asks him, I want you to go leave the house, get out of the house, go into the vineyard. And this son, he says, ah, I'm not interested. I know that's what you want me to do, but I really like it here in the house. In fact, dad, I know that you built this house and I love this house and it's a very comfortable place to be. And, and I also know there's a lot of work to do in the house. There's a lot of things that need done here. And, and so I think, you know, I could better be used in the house. In fact, I'm more comfortable in the house than I am out in the vineyard. And so now I'm not going to go. But then he sat and he thought about what his father's wishes were. And his father's wishes were that he would go out into the vineyard. And so as he sat and he contemplated this, he finally decided, I better go and do what my father wants me to do. I better go to the vineyard. I know I like it in the house. I know it's comfortable in the house. I know there's a lot of work to be done in the house. But I better go out into the vineyard because that's what my father wants. The second son that he comes to, he comes and he asks him the same question. I want you to leave the house, go out to the vineyard, and I want you to begin some work out there. And this son, he hears the call of his father. He hears the the request of his father. And and he says, Father, yes, I, I see the importance of going out into the vineyard. In fact, I hear you loud and clear, and I know what you want me to do. But then, this son never goes. He's fully on board. He's, with his words, fully on board with what his father is asking him to do. He intellectually understands that the will of his father is that he goes into the vineyard. But what he does is he sits there in the house. He stays. He doesn't go and do what God, what, what his father is asking of him to do. He's not going into the vineyards, even though he understands that this is where he ought to be. And he even agrees that this is a good place for him to be because that's where his father wants him to be. Now, the question is then asked, which of these two did the will of the father? Of course, the correct response of those who were listening was that it was the first son, the one who his initial response was that I'd rather not do what you're asking. But then upon further thinking, he goes and he does it. And so I want to just talk a little bit tonight about the house in the vineyard. We see this, uh, we see these two, uh, places 
throughout Scripture, the house and the vineyard. The house, all throughout Scripture, we see uh, we see this uh, this terminology that's used for the place, the gathering place that you would go and that you would worship God. It's the place all the way from from the, the time of Moses when when Moses was traveling and and God spoke to him and and told him, "I want you to build me a house." Where my people can come and they can worship me and that I can dwell in the midst of them in the house. It's a tabernacle. He says, I want to tab, I want you, uh, you to build a tabernacle where I, my presence can dwell and the people will come and they will worship me there in the house. They will worship, they will bring their, their sacrifices and there will be worship that's brought up in the house. And then we see that tabernacle, which was a, um, uh, it was uh, constructed in a way that it could be moved around and and that is until the days of of David and and David he saw this this tabernacle that was there and it was at that time a stationary thing though still able to be moved and he he asked the Lord and he said God I, I want to build a larger house I want to build a beautiful house for you and the Lord said, that's a good thing that you desire, but it's not going to be you that does it, but rather your son Solomon. And so Solomon builds the temple. And we see the temple that is constructed there in Jerusalem, and the people go to the temple. It's a beautiful place. In fact, the queen of Sheba, when she comes uh, under, when, when Solomon is the king of Israel, she, she travels many, many thousands of miles and comes and, and sees this beautiful temple that's been constructed and through that she sees the glory of God through this beautiful temple that's been constructed there in Jerusalem she says I I see the way that your God has blessed you and I see the most beautiful thing that that uh, I've ever seen in all of my travels. And, and she begins to worship God after seeing the beauty of the temple that has been built there. And it's not just the beauty of the temple, but we see the beauty of God's presence coming into that place. And it was a beautiful place that they would come and they would worship there and, and they would offer up sacrifices. It was also a very dirty place, a very bloody place that uh, out in the, the courts, at, at least where... Where they would offer up these sacrifices is a place of sacrifice. But not a place of worship. Now this temple was eventually torn down by the Babylonians. And when they came in, they destroyed this temple of Solomon. And eventually was rebuilt under Nehemiah. And, um, and it was rebuilt... Uh, just 70 years later, after they were able to come back into Jerusalem and they rebuilt this temple and you have the second temple that's there. And from that, you you have eventually these other places of worship, these synagogues that come up that uh, are in every city, every place where you have Jews that they would go and they were able to to worship there on their Sabbath day. And and that's that's what we see many times, even in the New Testament, where the people, the Jews, would go. Jesus himself would go to the synagogues and uh, he would instruct the people there on occasion. It's not where, I can, shouldn't say that's where the majority of his ministry took place, but 
some of his ministry took place behind a lectern in the synagogue. And he would go and he would, uh, he would greet the people and he would speak to them, exhort to them. And it was a place of worship. In fact, we even see in Acts chapter 2, it's not in a synagogue, but it's in a gathering place. The place where Jesus had instructed the, the church to go to. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, that they were all, or when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. You have 120 who had gathered together in one place. It may not have been a, uh, may not have been a, a, a church building but, uh, at that time, but uh, really that's what it was. They, the church was gathered together in one place and in that one place, they began to pray, they began to worship, and the Holy Ghost came into that room. It swept through that place, and we see all of them being filled with the power of the Holy Ghost, and and they began speaking in tongues, and and you see the overflow of that as others on the outside began asking what's happening on the inside, and they began to tell them about what has taken place in there, and you see 3,000 of them on the outside filled with the Holy Ghost that day and saved on that day because they heard about what was happening in the house. Flip over just one more chapter, Acts chapter 3, we see this rep or this uh this pattern continue verse number one it tells us that peter and john they're going up together where into the temple they they had this as part of their routine they're they're going at the hour of prayer the ninth hour of the day into the temple they they are going to the house of the lord this is the place where David said in Psalm 84, verse 4, uh, David, he said, Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee. That we are blessed when we go into the house of the Lord. I, Psalm 122 tells us that I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. I'm thankful for the church. I am so glad for the house of God. It is, there is no place like the house of the Lord. When you come in, I've, I've heard it said so many times when people come in and they just enter into this place. They say, I feel such peace. I felt such peace when I walked in to this, into this building. And, and there is something I believe that is sacred and special about the gathering place, the house of the Lord, where we can gather together. Even though we ourselves are the church, it is us, the collective people of God are the church. Uh, but there is something special about the house of the Lord. And, and I'm thankful that we have a place that we can go and that we can gather. But there does also come along with that one instruction after another to get out of the house. We see, especially throughout the old or throughout the New Testament, this instruction as Jesus uh, patterns his ministry that the majority of it takes place outside of the house of God. That even in the Book of Acts, though the church was birthed 
there with, the, with them gathered together all in one place in one accord that eventually persecution came and they went and they, they did ministry outside of that one place. They didn't all stay in that one house and just have church, have good church for a long time with 120 people or 3,000 people, you know, try to expand it a little bit and but bust the walls out. Let's build something bigger. Uh, let's, let's get a bunch of people in here. No, they went to where God was sending them. They, they did ministry where in the vineyard. They did ministry outside the house. They did, they went into the vineyard, into the place where the fruit was at, where the harvest was at. That's where they went to truly minister. That's where the church thrived was outside the house. They would gather together in the house and you see mighty wonders that would take place there. And you see worship that takes place there. And we see that encouraged that we would gather together, that we would not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, that that ought to happen. But it's so much the more ought to Take place outside the church where, where the, the harvest is waiting for us to go and to find them. That's really, uh, the pattern that we see that Jesus sets for us as well as the pattern of the first church. Now, of course, it was birthed with 120 gathered together in one mind, one accord. But even as Peter and John were going there to the temple that day, It wasn't inside the temple that they found the man that had a need. It was on the way to the temple. They were on the way to the temple at the hour of prayer. And that's a good thing. We ought to go to the temple. We ought to go there at the hour of prayer. At the time that's set aside for us to worship the Lord. That's something that we ought to do. But they happened to notice a man on this day who he was sitting there and they've Passed him by day after day, or every time that they come to the temple, they would pass the same man's because it says that he was laid daily at the gate. And on this day, they just so happened to look at him as he looked, as he called out to them and says, uh, do you have some alms or do you have something that you can give me? And something clicked in their brain that day that said, you know what? I don't have any money. But I have something far greater than money. I present to you Jesus Christ. And they began to do some work out in the vineyard. In the place where the harvest was at. In the place where people were looking for uh, for something that was real. For something that could change their life and transform their life. And we see that here as Peter and John are walking to the temple that day. That they met a man outside the house that had a need. And they met the need outside the house. I know that we all intellectually understand this. That there is the call upon the church to go. That the call for the church is to be the church and to uh, compel them to come in. But which son are we? Which son are we? Let's, let's go to Luke chapter 14. We're going to just look a little bit at the vineyard. Luke chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse 16. 
Jesus, again speaking here, he said that a certain man made a great supper and he bade many. And he sent a servant at the supper time to say to them that were bidden, come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said to him, well, I've bought a piece of ground and I must needs go and see it. I pray that you would have me excused. Another of them said, I've bought the five, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray that you would have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So that servant came, and he showed his Lord these things. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and into the lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halts and the blind." And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there's room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Go, compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Now, this parable here is placing us in this position of the servant. Placing the church, the ones who are, uh, who are already in the Father's house. It's placing us in the position of the servant. We, we see the, uh, the, the call, the uh, request of the master. And the request is that... There's a great supper that's waiting and there is a great feast that has been set out on the table. And I want for you to go and here's my guest list. Go and bring all those in my guest list here. And and now none of them wanted to come. And so he simply says, I want you to go and find somebody who's hungry enough. I want you to go and find somebody who wants to sit at my table. I want you to find somebody. I don't care who it is. I don't care if if they're on the guest list or not. I don't care what they look like. I don't care what they smell like. I don't care if I know their name. I don't care if they even know their name. I just want somebody who's hungry enough to say yes to the call to come to the table. Now, in other scripture we see the table. That... The table is, there, there is a great supper that is waiting, right? We, we see this, this uh, depiction of, of that time when the church will be called up and there will be a great feast that the church is able to come and to sit around the supper table with the Lord. And, and there is a, a calling that, that uh, you know, a day when we will be able to go and, and partake in a supper and communion with the Lord. Now carry that over into this and we see, when is that supper taking place? What, what is the house? When, when it says in verse 23, I want you to go and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. That my supper table may be filled. Now, is this... Primarily speaking of the house right here, or is it speaking of the house 
where the supper table's at. I want you to go and compel them to come in that that my house may be filled and they can eat of the supper that I have prepared for them. I don't want to, I don't want you to get me wrong. I don't, I'm not trying to discount meeting together in the house of the Lord. But what if we would truly get the vision of the Father, which is to say, by whatever means necessary, I want you to go and compel them to come to my house and eat at the supper table. That means if they never step foot in here, I don't care. I just want them to be at my supper table in my house. Now what that means is I need you to go and find them where they're at. Because they're not here right where you are. I need you to leave the comfort zone of where you're at and to compel them. Now compelling is an interesting phrase when you think of this. Compelling them to come in. That's, that's enticing them. That is in some way uh, making it... Uh, making it attractive for them to come in. And it's not, uh, it's, it's not about, uh, dragging them against their own will, but, uh, but it's telling them about why it's such a good thing for them to do. And, and when they, if you have somebody who'd like the first guess, say, that's not for me. Find somebody else. He doesn't say, I want you to go back to those who have rejected me and Figure out a different way, a different tactic. Try to figure out a different uh, avenue to get them to come. Because I need those guests who I wanted here to be here. No, he says, I want you to go and find somebody who is hungry. I want you to go and find somebody who is needy. I want you to go find somebody who wants to be at my supper table. And they didn't know that they had an opportunity. They didn't even know that this was available for them. But if you can go and you can tell them about it, then maybe they uh, they get a little bit excited and say, I can make it there. You can show them the way. Now this is this this story that we see of of uh, Jesus again explained to the church, explained to the, his followers what our role is. Our role is that of compelling them to come in. This is no different than what the Great Commission is that he, he speaks of in the in the last uh, some of the last words that that he says that we would go into all the world and to every nation and. And that we would baptize them and that we would make disciples and, and bring them to him. That this is really the purpose that Jesus has for the church. This is your purpose. This is my purpose. It's not all about just gathering together and being here with one another. It's about going. Now, the question is, again, going back to the parable of the two sons. Do you simply... And do I simply, I'm going to put, I got to have to put myself in this as well, because it's convicting when I read this and thought about this. Do I simply agree with the father that that's what the purpose is? And that's what my purpose is on this earth is to go and compel them to come in, to go into the vineyard, to go and, and do the work outside the house. And I agree, but yet all I do is I simply stay in the house. Because there's a lot of work to do in the house. 
There's a lot of things that I need to do right here. And, and Father, I know there's some important things that need done. But yet, the Father says, I need you to go into the vineyard. Well, are we... Are we simply nodding our heads and saying, yes, that's where I'm doing. That's Yes, I, I'm going to go. I'm, I, I see, God, what your will is for me. And I, I need to go into the world. I need to be the one who's compelling them to come. And I need to be the one that's, that's telling them. But, um, but you know, I, I've tried it before. And I found that I wasn't very good at it. I found that I wasn't very good in the vineyard. I, I'm not the one that's very good at, at, at Plucking the, the grapes and, and pruning everything. And, and I've, I've found that, you know, when I talk to people, I, you know, I fumble over my words some, or I, I've been shut down time and time again. And, and yet the Father says, I need you in the, I need you in the vineyard. I need you in the vineyard. That's where I'm, that's where I'm calling you. Church, He's calling you to the vineyard. He's calling you to the place where the people are at. He's calling you to be his hands and his feet right where the needs are, right where the harvest is. He's saying, I need you to get into the vineyard. And it's not just an agreement of shaking your head. Yes, God, I see where you want me to be, but yet you stay stationary right where you're at. No, you say, I see the needs right here in the house. But God, if that's your will, I'm going to leave behind the things that I hold important and go and do what you say is important. Let's go to Matthew chapter 20. We have that, that there, Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. There we go. Let me get to verse 1 here. We'll just dive a little bit deeper on the vineyard. Verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, he went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And then he went out about the third hour and he saw others that were standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, go you also into the vineyard and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. Again, he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and he did likewise and about the eleventh hour he went out and he found others standing idle. And he saith unto them, Why stand you here all the day idle? It's mm, a good question. Why are you guys not in the vineyard? What, what's, what's happening here? Why, why aren't you guys out doing the work? Why, there's a lot of harvest to be done. Why are you just standing here idle? And they said unto him, Because no man has hired us. He said, Well, you found the man. Go you into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall you receive. He's calling them, calling laborers to come into the vineyard. That's what Jesus is doing. He's calling laborers into the vineyard today. He's calling this church into the vineyard. He's calling this church into the homes of people who need to hear the, the, about the love of Jesus Christ. They need to hear about being baptized in Jesus' name. They need to hear about the hope that can come, that can take away all anxiety and all fear. And they can, they need to hear about the fact that there are, you can lay hands on them and there's healing that still takes place today. Come on, they need to hear about a church that is still standing up for truth. 
truth. They need to hear about it. They need to hear about that. But let's let, let's allow those conversations to happen in the vineyard where God or where the people are at and God is sending us to. I just want to revisit one more time that passage of scripture in Matthew 21. It's one that we started with. Where it says that this certain man, he had these two sons and they came first. The son said, go, uh, or he said, son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and he said, I will not. But afterward he repented and he went. He came to the second and he said, likewise. And he answered and he said, I go, sir. But he went not. Now, which of them did the will of the father? They say unto him, the first, and Jesus said unto them, Verily I say to you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. I'll read that again, I read that again because you notice there at the very end that Jesus was addressing a certain group of people. He was addressing the Pharisees on this day who were questioning him, who were presenting all these things to him about trying to entrap him. And Jesus is challenging the way that they did church. The way that they served God. And he's saying the way that you are serving God is not the way that God wants you to. He says you are very comfortable. And we see in other places where where Jesus addresses uh, the way that they would pray. And they would come out and it's all about look at me. Look how holy I am. Look how good I am. Look how much, uh, how many big words I can say when I pray and how beautiful my prayers are. And, and I want you to see me when I drop that money into the offering plate. And so that you can see how good I am. And, and, and it's all centered around them. And yet Jesus is calling them to change the way that they live and change the way that they worship their God. And he's saying the harlots and the sinners, the ones who you have been, uh, you've been railing on me because I'm reaching them, but they're getting a hold of it. They are getting a hold of what God's will really is. That these people understand what it means to be in the house of the sinner. These people understand what it means to sit across the table with somebody who their, their whole world has been turned upside down because they've lived it. And they're, they're just as comfortable out on a fishing boat and, 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 and mending nets and catching fish and, and then coming in with all the, the catch of the day and, and then and sitting down with, with people that are, are, are just normal people and having conversation with them. And he says, I want you to be more like them than the way that you are, which is all about a religion that's focused on how good I am and how separated I can be. In fact, that word Pharisee comes from the very word which uh, comes from this concept of being very holy and separated from everyone else. Now, I believe in holiness. I believe in separation. It's, uh, and, and Jesus, he, he affirms, uh, affirms some parts of, of how they uh, go about that and their holiness and their separation. He affirms them in that. But yet he says that when you do it in order to make yourself look good, 
That's where God is disgusted. And rather, he wants you to simply go and be separated from the world, but yet in the world so that you can meet the needs of others. Let's be holy, but let's go into the world where God has called us. See, the problem is that vineyards are not as comfortable as the house. Vineyards take work. Vineyards take intentionality. Vineyards, it takes time. In the house, you can have, you can have one person that's uh, it's, it's really doing a, a lot of the stuff in the house and there's then a lot of places where you can go and just relax and sit down and, and watch. But in the vineyards, once you step foot in there, they expect everyone to work. He's calling them when he's, when, when we read that, that passage in, uh, in that previous chapter, when he's calling the laborers into the vineyard, he's not calling them to come in and just stand, to stand by and, and to, to look at how good the grapes are and, and just to inspect them. No, he says, I'm coming in. I, I want you to be a worker in the vineyard. You're a laborer. I'm calling laborers today. And that's what Jesus is calling for of us today. He's calling some laborers into the vineyard. That we would go into the vineyard and be intentional about the harvest. Let's be intentional about the harvest. See... I think so often we, we get scared because we step into the vineyard and we see all these thousands of grapes. See all these vines and it looks like a mess and, and you, you walk in there and you say, I, I'm not skilled at this. I don't know how to, I don't know what to do. But if you begin to just focus in and you, you look at that one vine and you begin to see in that one vine and you see a a little part of it here that it needs to be pruned and needs to be clipped off. And you see, uh, you know, uh, one little grape over here that this, this cluster, that, that, that one's ready. And, and you begin to focus in on the smaller parts. You, you see that there is some work that when you focus in, rather than looking at the big picture, that it's not always as hard as we, we like to make it or like to think that it is. And so often... We, we do the same in our lives that we see all these people. And God, you've called us, you've called us out there. God, you've called us to go out, but that's a lot of people. And if I can just be the light, if I can just, you know, be good to others, then, then somebody's going to see it. And somebody's going to notice it and they're going to then come to the church and then the pastor can teach them and, and they're going to get excited. They're going to get filled with the Holy Ghost. We'll have somebody that will come and pray with them. But yet, how often does that happen? Or somebody just simply out of your testimony of, of living your life. You know, how, how many souls have you won that way? If that's, if that's our practice, if that's our, uh, if that's our only way of, of doing this, I believe that, that there is a more productive way, which is for us to be intentional, even out there, in going and investing in people. I, I've said this often lately, um, that more time with less people 
produces greater results. That if you can spend more time with less people, you're going to see greater results out of that. That if you are investing in, in some who you see as the ones who are, are, are hungry and they're ready to receive uh, something, they're, they're ready to, uh, they're open to uh, what, what God can do in their life. You see somebody who is discipleable. You see somebody who's like a hot coal. They're ready. It just takes just a little bit uh, of stoking and they're, they're going to be on fire. It's, let's start investing in a couple of those people and you see right away that there's some great results that begin to happen. Don't stop getting caught up in the big, huge picture of, of all those, uh, all the people that we need to reach. Let's instead focus on just the few. Let's just focus on one. Just focus on one person and invest in them. And, and don't be afraid to, uh, to just have conversation with them that is building relationship. And then when the time comes, you, you, you begin to uh, speak to them about, and about uh, what, what God is doing in your life and, and, and speaking to them about, you know, why isn't, uh, why aren't you seeing the same things happen in your life? It's okay to put a little tension in there and that, make them think about it. Make them think, you know, why isn't that happening in my life? Why am I not seeing those, those things that you're talking about, that transformation you're talking about? Why am I not experiencing that? And maybe they even call themselves, you know, about Christian. And, and yet, uh, you, you open up the scripture and you say, you know what? Jesus says this here. And, and yet, it looks like what you've been telling me is, is, is different from that. So, you know, why is that? It's putting some tension in there. And that's okay because tension produces growth. Tension produces disciples. And that's what Jesus is calling us to invest in people. I, I want to, I'll close this out just with this, uh, with this little illustration here. And if you were at Great Lakes, uh, Great Lakes Youth Convention this year, uh, you can't answer this question because I'm stealing this uh, illustration from uh, somebody who, who used it there. But it's about the, uh, it's, a, it's a question. What would you rather have? If I offer to you right now $1 million or I offer to you one penny that's going to be doubled every day for 30 days, which would you rather have? Seems like an obvious answer, right? But there's power in multiplication. Did you put this next slide up? That one penny, if you were to double that amount every day, over 30 days, you end up with a total of $5,368,709.12. It's the power of multiplication. That if you have that one little penny, but you keep doubling it. Now, what, what am I trying to say here? It's, it's that if we could just... See the results of what it would be if the whole church would invest in one person. 
And we can see the doubling effect of rather than believing that it's the job of one minister or just a small group of ministers to come and to invest into the people that we would bring into the house and and to see the, the souls saved because of that. Now, I believe in an Acts 2 revival. And I believe that there's power in coming to the house of God and letting the fire fall and, and people receiving the Holy Ghost. But what would happen if we brought that out there and every one of us in the church got got a hold of what Jesus is calling us to do, which is to get into the vineyard and begin and begin investing ourselves into the lives of somebody. And we see that multiplied out and all of a sudden you have a much greater harvest than ever could have taken place by simply bringing people to a church into the house and expecting all of the harvest to take place here. This is what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to multiplication. In fact, this is how the church began. I know it began in Acts chapter 2. And it was birthed in Acts chapter 2 in a, in a church service. But you read, out, you read throughout the rest of the book of Acts. And you see them going into the cities and the streets. You see them reaching people in one-on-one conversations. And that is the rest of Acts. All of the church, when it began, it was, it was birthed or it was, it was uh, built upon this multiplication, investing in the lives of others in the church, going and being the church. It's incredible the pace at which the church was built because of people who were led by the Spirit of God and they weren't afraid to go and, and to invest in somebody who was hungry, who was uh, looking for something that was real. And and you see the church go out and being led by God. They, they said every day, every opportunity that I get, I want to find somebody. I want to find somebody like like the, the the maimed, the the hurting, the, the the lost, the hungry, the ones that are ready for the for the supper table. They're ready for the call. And when I meet them, when I see them, I'm going to make sure that they get to the supper table. I'm going to come into a close just right now. This this final call back to that that illustration that Jesus gave us. The two sons. Which one are we? Are we the son that hears this and we get it and we say, yes, I know that's where you want me. Yes, I know that's where I'm supposed to be. And yes, I will go. I will go. The second son, he said, Father, I'll go. And there's somebody here today who's saying, I'll go. I'll do it. I'll find somebody who's hungry. I'll find somebody who is ready to have a conversation about what God can do in their life. I'll find somebody who, who I, I can talk to about being baptized. And I can find somebody. And, and I'm going to do it. But yet the son sits and he never goes into the vineyard. Or is it the son who says, I see a lot of important things that need to take place at the house. But Father, if that's your will, I'm going to go. I may not understand it fully. I may not uh, fully uh, even be on board with, with what you're asking me to do. But God, if you want me in the vineyard, I'll be in the vineyard. 
And when you step out and you begin to work the vineyard, when you go out there as a laborer, you'll see that what you thought you were not good at, God will give you every skill, everything that you need in order to, uh, to, to find somebody who, would, who needs to hear this gospel message and for their lives to be transformed because you are obeying the call of Jesus Christ. He will lead you and he will guide you. It takes being spirit-led. We could, we could keep on this conversation forever, but I better bring it to a close here right now. Let's just close our eyes. Let's lift up our hands. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would just help us tonight. God, as the conviction falls and we see even the things, God, that you are calling us to do, that to go out, to be your hands and your feet. God, let us never devalue the, the work that takes place in the house. God, for when we come together, Lord, we, we see and we expect, God, the, the miracles to happen, the things, Lord, to, uh, to, to take place. But, Lord, I pray that right now, Lord, that we would get a hold of what you're calling us to do into the vineyard. Lord, I pray that there would be somebody here tonight, God, that for the first time, Lord, ever, that tomorrow they step into their mission field, that they step out uh, outside of, of, of their house, Lord, with intentionality about reaching somebody. They step out with intentionality about investing in the life of somebody. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church, Lord, to be your hands and your feet everywhere that we go, Lord, to establish your kingdom here on earth, God, for your kingdom. God, is it not? God, your kingdom is ready. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, I pray that you would use this church, God, to reach this city. Use this church, Lord, to reach our workplaces. Use this church, God, to reach this region. Lord, I pray that there would be church that would be birthed out of this church. God, there would be other gathering places, other assemblies that are birthed out of this church. God, that because of we get a hold of the vision, Lord, that there's this house, God, this house right here could not contain, Lord, the multiplication that will happen when we get a hold of what you're trying to do in us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. And church... So thankful that we can gather together here tonight. But let's go and let's be the church. Amen. Let's go and be the church. Remainder of this week. Bless you're dismissed.